time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact! Yeah. Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, they say it's a cross between Norman Rockwell and Olympic Village, a $2 billion real estate uh, development of Dr. Ken Cooper, where uh, every doctor makes a house call, every expert has a bevy of experts close at hand to help keep you in tip-top medical shape. He returns to us from a recent uh, uh, meeting of the annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America. He's here to talk with us today about the failing heart being energy starved. He's Tom Vonderbrink who joins us today, the President the Chief Operating Officer of Bioenergy Life Science. All of your questions about the energy of your heart back to your entire body with Tom Vonderbrink joining us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, they say if you're searching for a villain in America's obesity epidemic, you have to look no further than soft drinks, at least uh, according to Dr. David Ludwig, a Harvard endocrinologist, as well as uh, Michael Jacobson from the Center for Science and the Public Interest. The average American diet right now, 10% of those calories come from soft drinks called liquid candy because uh, of uh, its detractors. And Dr. Ludwood, that Harvard endocrinologist, uh, sweetened drinks are the only specific food that clinical research has linked directly to weight gain. Of course, the Soft Drink uh, Association leads us to believe that in moderation, it's an okay part of, uh, of, an, of a, a, a modest, a moderate, a balanced diet. But uh, in the past 30 years, with the national obesity rate tripling, um, and for teenagers, I'm sorry, doubling, and for teenagers tripling, the Centers for Disease Control uh, now reports that soda pop is the quintessential junk food. Pure calories, no nutrients, like, quote, a bomb in our diet. Soda, making Americans fat. But, of course, you and I know it's not just the soda. There are many factors of our Western lifestyle that all contribute to that expanding waistline. Well, a very interesting review of what has been done now for a number of years in the medical research, thanks to Nobel laureate, Dr. Otto Warburg. He was the first one to observe a, a feature of cancer cells in terms of their metabolism. They fueled themselves through fermentation of sugar in the cytoplasm. His early work on feeding people with cancer, a diet that did not have any sources of sugar, has now been translated into current research going on in Würzburg Hospital in Germany where they have been enrolling cancer patients in a clinical trial. The medication fat 
putting patients on the ketogenic diet, eliminating all carbohydrates, including sugar, and providing energy from high-quality plant oils like hemp seed and linseed oil, uh, protein from soy and animal products, and at least in the patients who are uh, able and willing to stick to the ketogenic diet, they are finding some long-term success, a high-fat diet. Of course, it has been touted to be of great benefit in epileptic conditions. Now being put to the test, can a high-fat diet, a ketogenic diet, actually beat cancer? Interesting indeed. Well, it's become all too common. In fact, according to the chairman of the Department of Medicine at Senior Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, who has published research in today's New England Journal of Medicine, half of men experience the condition of gynecomastica, enlargement of their breast tissue, at some time in their lives. Half of all men. It relates to that balance of estrogen and testosterone. When estrogen becomes the dominant hormone, the breasts begin to grow in men. And knowing now that we have seen testosterone levels slide on average 20% over the past two decades, and now a recent research study coming out of the New England Research Institute that indicates that one in four men over the age of 30 has significant testosterone deficiency with the overall picture that between the years 2000 and the upcoming year 2025 that we will see an overall decline of 38% in total testosterone levels in men gives us some indication that perhaps not only is Dr. Bronstein from Cedars-Sinai Medical Center accurate, uh, this is going to become all the more prevalent gynecomastica, enlargement of breast tissue, and of course one of the most common Plastic surgery procedures now being done on men, 20% of all plastic surgery procedures done on men relates to gynecomastica, all related to an imbalance of estrogen and testosterone, which of course begs the question, why don't you solve the hormonal balance rather than address just the sign and symptoms? was being reported this week at the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research's annual meeting. Uh, Research scientists at Loyola University in Chicago took a look at postmenopausal women who had been treated for breast cancer. What they found is that their bones have suffered because of it, that the bones of breast cancer patients tend to age prematurely as a result of not their breast cancer, not their disease, but as a result of the chemotherapy and aromatase inhibitors that are often prescribed for them, things like um, Avista and Tamoxifen as follow-up to their bout of, uh, of bone cancer. And, of course, we now recognize that um, we find many of these women have problems with cognitive function, brain function, certainly uh, more problems with heart failure. And what they found um, uh, amazingly is that many of these women were also vitamin D deficient. So we uh, certainly now know that vitamin D deficiency is all too prevalent in many age groups in this country, particularly among postmenopausal women, we see an incidence of vitamin D deficiency in the range of 75%. 
and over 60% of men over the age of 60 vitamin D deficient. So even though it's going to uh, uh, cost you, oh, I guess about $100, you may want to talk with your physician about being tested a 25-OH, 25-OH vitamin D blood study to find out where you stand with the revelation that breast cancer treatment hard on the bones and many of these women vitamin D deficient and of course we find that overall in many segments of the population these days much to our detriment because we live longer with more vitamin D we have less high blood pressure with more vitamin D we have less prostate cancer colon cancer and breast cancer with more vitamin D less seasonal affective disorder with more vitamin D less multiple sclerosis with more vitamin D so just a few of the many reasons why it's important to get optimal vitamin D Well, is there a difference when you choose shrimp when it comes to how that shrimp was raised and thereby their nutritional content? There's a research firm out of Gainesville, Florida, that has now compared farm-raised shrimp. Of course, that's the majority of shrimp consumed in this country with 85% of our seafood imported in this country versus wild American shrimp. What they find, for example, is that wild American shrimp delivers 20% more vitamin B12 than the farm-raised shrimp. And if you take a look at many nutrients, the omega-3 fatty acids, calcium, iron, and protein, there is a difference, according to research scientists at Clemson University, between farm-raised shrimp versus wild shrimp because shrimp is definitely a heart-beneficial food. It's low in fat, rich in the healthy, the good fats, the fish oils, uh, strong in many nutrients, including vitamin B12, of which so many people are deficient. So next time you purchase some fish, uh, some shrimp, or maybe choose it off a menu, may want to ask if it is wild American shrimp because it's content of iron protein. The good fats, the omega-3 fatty acids, calcium and amino acids may be much different in wild shrimp versus the farm-raised. We're going to return to talk about an energy deprivation. The recent meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America brings Tom Vonderbrink from Bioenergy Life Science to us today. We invite you to join us. Your energy questions, 800-307-3002. With Tom Vonderbrink joining us on Healthy Talk Radio. The most affordable health insurance on earth. Healthy Talk Radio. The statistics are in that good news and bad news. Good news, Americans are living longer than ever before. Bad news, we stand 42nd in the world. And the top three killers in this country remain heart disease, stroke, and cancer. So when we think about heart disease, we think about the health of our heart, uh, its strength, its ability to get the job done. So, very interesting that we have the opportunity to catch up on some really cutting edge. In fact, the most recent annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America brings the president of Bioenergy Life Science to us today, Tom Vonderbrink. Tom, hello and welcome. Good morning, Deborah, and good morning to your listeners. 
So give us an overview. What, what, what is the Heart Failure Society of America? And tell us about this, this annual meeting, which you recently attended, Tom. Well, um, the Heart Failure uh, Society of America started about 11 years ago, and it is a collection of doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, all involved in treating patients with heart failure. And um, my guess is there were probably 3,000 physicians at this meeting. Wow. A uh, number of, um, I mean, a, a very packed schedule of presentations and uh, a number of companies uh, that have things to help treat heart, heart failure patients were there. And, um, you know, we were there. Uh, I probably talked to um, two, three hundred of the physicians who attended this and uh, had a discussion about ribose. But one of the things that, that I focused on was this growing body of evidence. And, you know, guys like Steve Sinatra, people like Julian Whitaker, understand the energy crisis that is occurring in many diseases, including heart failure. But what made me very um, happy was that we're seeing more of these people, the, 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 the physicians, the very traditional physicians, the nurse practitioners working in heart failure clinics, are really starting to understand that heart failure, you need to start with energy. And if the heart doesn't have enough energy, um, you need to do something about it. And... Uh, you know, I spent a number of hours walking around looking at other things that people were doing, and a lot of them were products, devices, implantable things that were designed to help make the heart work better. And, um, you know, three or four years ago, um, when I, and I've been going to this meeting for several years now, but there, there is a trend to, to trying to make things work better instead of trying to stop some of the things that there. And, you know, sure. most drugs tend to stop things from happening, you know, whether it's antibiotics or calcium channel uh, inhibitors or blockers or ACE inhibitors. All these things stop stuff from happening. But what I'm seeing is that there is more and more of these Western or traditional physicians treating these heart failure patients that are looking for ways to make what we have work better, whether it's a nutraceutical that rebuilds energy or a pump that you uh, implant in the body uh, that helps the heart work better instead of stopping these things from happening. So to, to, to bring us back to uh, you know, the source of all of this, uh, without delving into heart failure in, in detail for just a moment, Tom, because uh, you and I uh, both know uh, the work of Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum, mm-hmm. who gives us a, a really broad picture of the most common condition, symptom, complaint in doctor's offices across the country. Um, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling fatigued. So if we take a look at energy and muscles and and overall vitality, uh, help us to understand how ribose fits into this picture, as Dr. Kattabam has taught us. Okay. The the, the one thing that... that most people don't realize is the two very distinct portions of the bioenergetic equation at the cellular level. And, you know, we hear all kinds of things of this improves your energy, this helps make ATP, that molecule uh, that is responsible for most of the energy that our body does. And what we're finding is that a 
lot of those things work. A lot of those things will help the turnover of ATP. But that's only half of the equation. You know, when our body uses energy, we have this molecule called ATP, which burns or releases a part of it, the, 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 the third phosphate group. It forms another compound. And through the use of oxygen and fuel, it makes that ADP, which is the spent ATP, back into that. And there are a number of things that help that process go, uh, that, that helps that, that, that turnover happen millions of times in our body. The other thing in terms of energy are stimulants. Let's try to increase things, um, stimulate, you know, whether it be caffeine, whether it be Starbucks, whether it be uh, inotropic therapy, very often used in, in heart failure patients to try to make things work harder. Um, and there are a lot of things out there. And, you know, uh, you know, I was at a hotel uh, two weeks ago, and my soap actually was called energy. So everybody's looking at energy. But one of the basic things that we have to look at in the bioenergetic equation is how much of this very specialized molecule, ATP, do we have? And that's where ribose really plays a role, because ribose is not only the backbone of that molecule, but it is the regulator of how quickly we rebuild that after we have depleted the amount of those molecules that we have. You know, our hearts, in general, have seven-tenths of a gram of uh, ribose, you know, a very, very small amount. We will burn six kilograms a day. So every molecule in the heart's got to turn over. But in a patient with heart failure, uh, they may only have four-tenths of a gram. So they're already working with a smaller pool that they can turn over. You know, if you take someone who has run a marathon, at the end of that marathon, the amount of ATP that they will have in their muscles is going to be significantly depleted. And uh, the only difference between a marathon runner and a congestive heart failure patient in terms of bioenergetics is how long does it take them to deplete that? You know, the marathon for a congestive heart failure patient may be a half a flight of steps, where for a world-class runner it may be 24 miles. But the same thing is happening in terms of bioenergetics. We are losing our energy stores or our ability to turn this over because there's just not enough fuel in the cell to turn over. And the importance of that, you know, knowing that 3,000 doctors attended this Heart Failure Society of America, give us some insight, Tom, in terms of, you know, incidents. When we talk about heart failure, you know, who are we speaking to in this country? Diabetics, uh, people who take statin drugs, uh, people with Medicare age? Um, all of the above. Uh, you know, heart failure is, uh, and heart disease, of course, is the number one cause of death in the United States. Um, and heart failure is is one of the few diseases, especially what is called diastolic heart failure. You know, there is uh, there was a, an abstract that was presented there, talking about the difference between systolic, that's the beating phase of the heart, mm-hmm. and diastolic, the relaxing phase of the heart. And there are some treatments out there for systolic heart failure, where your heart just doesn't beat enough, but the, but what is growing rapidly is this diastolic or the relaxation phase of this heartbeat. That 
percentage of patients that really, you know, in, in the abstract came out and said, we do not have any efficacious treatment for diastolic heart failure. And they understand that diastolic heart failure is a, a heart that is just run out of gas. And many people are trying to say, okay, let's put another engine in there, whether it be a pump or something else, that let's take this person in and, you know, put batteries and let's try to bypass some of that. But more and more people are looking at ways to make that heart have more energy. And that's really where ribose fits into the, in, into the equation because it rebuilds that energy store in that cardiac muscle and what it does is... Well, we don't want to miss a minute, so I'm going to talk about uh, what it does and how doctors are using it and how you can use it. With Tom Vonderbrink joining us today from Bioenergy Life Science, we're talking about heart failure. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community, but it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. I'm Deborah Ray, joined today by Tom Vonderbrink, the President the Chief Operating Officer of Bioenergy Life Science. We're talking about important information that came out of the most recent annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America. And whether you was one of those people who just think you need some additional energy, actually suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome, know somebody, perhaps you know, aging parents or relatives with heart failure, congestive heart failure, or or, uh, the beginnings of, uh, of cardiomyopathy, um, a failure of the heart muscle, an important topic. We invite you to join us at 800-307-3002. As always, we point you to an important website and phone number for additional information. If you're listening to us today, Corvalen, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N.com. The toll-free uh, number is one 866 Corvalen, again, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N. So we're going to come back and talk about that important topic in terms of uh, D-ribose and heart energy. Please continue, Tom. You know, I mean, but again, it, it goes back to this understanding of what the cause and where, where the, 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 the digging into the basic biochemistry of what's going on. You know, one of the, one of the abstracts focused on systolic and, and diastolic heart failure and, you know, just the, the conclusion of that is, is relatively interesting. It says, although there have been considerable progress in the management of systolic heart failure, the management of diastolic heart failure remains mostly empirical because of the lack of knowledge of the molecular and biochemical mechanism which produce the structural and function changes. You know, and, and they go on uh, at the end of this to say, you know, further research, research and investigations are urgent, ur- urgently required. And, and I think that's good. I mean, understanding that this is not, um, you know, a plumbing problem, uh, but it problem. is really right. looking at, you know, in terms of the way your heart, your, your blood flows through your heart, but looking at the basic biochemistry of the basic biomechanical or the biochemical mechanisms which produce this ability of the heart relax is very encouraging. You know, you, you can't fix something until you um, realize what causes it. And more and more of these physicians 
Uh, and again, they are very traditional. We're finding out what many of the integrative doctors, uh, who you and I both know, have found, uh, you know, over the last couple of years that you gotta get the energy, the energy production in check for all of this stuff to work. It be, it not only makes the heart work better, but it will make everything else you're trying to do work better. And, uh, so that's encouraging that this message is getting into this relatively traditional group of doctors. And, uh, uh, I'm encouraged by it. And, uh, you know, many of the doctors that we talk to are, are beginning to, to try alternative types of things. Well, you know, in Corvalin Ribose, which is, a, which is our product, is one of those things that they feel may change the way we treat this number one killer of people in the United States. So if you take a look at uh, physicians like Dr. Stephen Sinatra, Dr. Jim Roberts, who have been early adopters and, and actually authors of books on the topic, mm-hmm. how do they uh, approach heart failure, Tom? Well, you know, they, I, both of them, you know, and in, and in Dr. Sinatra's, uh, both of his last two books, he talks about this energy crisis. He talks about you gotta get the energy supply in check. And Dr. Sinatra, for 15, 20 years now, has been using CoQ10. And, you know, he has found that he got results with CoQ10. But again, CoQ10 is only half of that equation. Uh, you, because CoQ10, as we mentioned before, works on one part of this biochemical reaction, the turnover of the ATP. But once he found ribose and once he looked at the research and tried it on his patients, he actually calls ribose the missing link in that that it's the other side of that that nobody's looked at. And it's kind of like trying to tune up a car with two spark plugs missing. And, you know, you keep going and going and going, and the more you tune it up, the better it will run. But it never runs right until you put those other two spark plugs in. And that's really what ribose does. It allows that heart to work on all of its cylinders because it has a full complement of these molecules that are that are the energy source that is there. And, you know, I, I have had the privilege to, to look at uh, Dr. Teitelbaum, who's, who um, is involved in energy crisis in skeletal muscles, in his new book, um, you know, he in Chapter 2, he talks about fixing the energy crisis. And, I mean, the, 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 the title of his book, or the title of that second chapter, um, is, you know, fixing the energy problem beginning with ribose. Um, you know, be, you know, getting this treatment protocol in check and beginning with ribose to make sure that you have enough energy for everything else that you're doing to work, and that's what ribose does. It rebuilds those ATP molecules that you need to drive everything up. But whether somebody is, is listening to us and, and, and has a real interest either personally or because of their, their circle of family and friends and heart failure, I mean, the corollary, yeah, you already mentioned, you know, the, the energy drink explosion, the literally mm-hmm. we find soaps that say energy on yep. that, um, that, you know, we look in all the wrong places just as we have for so many years in terms of heart failure, making that heart work worked harder <laughs> didn't give it the fuel that it needed in the end nor does uh, you know that that double espresso <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know in the end make us do anything other than we can't sleep that night so we're more tired the next day tom well i mean you're exactly right deborah <laughs> the you know many of the stimulants or 
you know, stimulants in the caffeine and the Starbucks and the energy drinks, um, yes, they will cause a little stimulation or increase of this energy turnover, which will, you know, give us a little buzz, give us a little more energy. But it really does not address the problem that you don't have enough of these molecules. It's kind of like beating a dead horse. And, you know, in, in one of the standard treatments for diastolic function was to bring these people into the emergency room or into the hospital and give them intravenous stimulants. Inotropic therapy is what it is called. It, it is designed to make your heart beat harder. And in studies over the last couple of years now, they're showing that this type of treatment actually makes things worse. It, 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 it increases mortality. It increases morbidity. And again, it just further depletes this already precariously low uh, amount of energy or energy stores that the heart has. And more and more people are looking at the other side of the equation now. How can we build the store? How can we look at the metabolism of the heart to mm-hmm. try to build this energy store? And uh, whether it's, you know, a marathon runner or a, you know, a class 3 congestive heart failure patient, the biochemistry is very similar. So let's talk about that, but some of the examples, so some of the, the first-person healing stories. Because um, I remember, um, I think he was both a golf and a motorcycle aficionado, uh, Tom, somebody who had literally been ter- told, uh, there's really nothing more that conventional medicine has to offer for your failing heart. You're exactly right. I mean, this is a story, and, uh, you know, it's uh, the guy's uh, Tom in Phoenix, Arizona, was a very late class three very, very sick, uh, was confined, confined to a wheelchair or a walker most of the time. In fact, he would take his walker. He lived in Phoenix, had about, you know, uh, 20 feet from his front door to his mailbox, and he'd take his walker out and um, get his mail, and he'd have to sit down out at the mailbox for 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes before he could get enough breath, before he could have enough energy to walk back in. And luckily, he ended up with a relatively early adopting a physician who had him on 15, 20 drugs and suggested that he go on Corvalin. And within three weeks, you know, he's walking back and forth to the mailbox without his walker. Within two months, he's cleared to ride his motorcycle again. Now, this was a guy who, before the treatment, had gone over to UCLA and was told that he was too weak for a heart transplant. And... um you know, and, and this was some probably two, two years after treatment with ribose. He went back because he still does not have a healthy heart. He's got problems. And went back over to see if now maybe he was strong enough to get a, a heart transplant. Right. And they told him he didn't need one. And uh, those stories we hear all the time. So that that measure of heart function, many people will be told by their physician um, about um, their EF uh, uh, variable, and I'm mm-hmm. reminded of uh, of a conversation we, we've spoken of Dr. Stephen Sinatra and his innovation in the area. Of, uh, I mean, he himself got excited about this heart failure patient. You're exactly right. I mean, we are seeing significant improvements in both systolic and diastolic function with the use of this very simple carbohydrate that rebuilds the energy. Uh, Dr. Sinatra has seen, you know, ejection fractions jump from the middle teens to the to the low 30s, which 
is a, it, which is really unheard of, and this happened in three weeks. We're seeing diastolic function improve in three weeks uh, just by focusing on the basic energy metabolism that ribose can do in building that ATP molecule. So, you know, hospitals, you know, knowing that so many of them, you know, depend upon Medicare uh, dollars, you know, the, the population that is most at risk um, uh, of heart failure, um, you know, what is, you know, the, the status of, of ongoing research uh, with patients who, you know, tend to just come back over and over again because this tends to be not only chronic energy starvation but chronic heart failure, Tom? Uh, you're right, and you know, a typical patient with congestive heart failure that is admitted to the hospital either presents themselves at the emergency room and is admitted to the hospital with a primary diagnosis of congestive heart failure. Twenty percent of them will be back in the hospital again within uh, 30 days. The average amount of visits of someone once they go into the hospital with a um, a, a diagnosis of congestive heart failure, they will visit the hospital, they will be back into the hospital again six times in the next year. So it's a tremendous drain on, on the, um, the, the economics of the health, of the healthcare system. But it's even a bigger drain on these people. I mean, here are people that are, that are suffering that are typically on seven, eight, ten, fifteen, twenty drugs a day trying to control some of these symptoms, trying to stop some of the things from happening. And, you know, we are looking at trying to rebuild this energy store and see if this can can help reduce the, t- the number of times these right. people come back. It's a very long study. It's going to take a long time to get these results because you have to track a number of patients over a significantly long period of time. But you know, we see that the, 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 the trends seem to go in the right way. Uh, we don't have the study done, but uh, we think it's going to show that uh, we, we can get these people out of the hospital, keep them out of the hospital, and improve their quality of life when they're suffering from this disease. But compare, you know, speaking of this this recent annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society, you know, perhaps when you were there in years past uh, versus the most recent meeting in terms of, you know, understanding and interest, you know, what what <laughs> we've heard from, uh, you know, the likes of Dr. Stephen Sinatra when he was in the audience and heard Dr. Jim Roberts, you know, that aha moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I think they're getting the message. Yeah. I mean, cardiologists are one of... The, the the more conservative specialties in medicine, you know, they are very late adopters. They they tend to look very hard and long at research, and uh, there are very few of them like, uh, you know, Dr. Sinatra, Jim Roberts, who are early adopters. And, you know, guys like uh, Dr. Sinatra and Dr. Roberts just were not satisfied with the results they were getting. They were tired of constantly having to readmit their patients to the hospital. They were tired of having their patients that they would have to send home and say, well, here's all I can do, go home and die. Um, They were tired of not being able to give them something that could make them less tired, less fatigued, less short of breath, improve some of the things. And they, they looked very aggressively for other uh, 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 other ways to improve that. And they found them. They found them in nutritional products such as CoQ10 and carnitine. 
They found them in different types of therapies, as Julian Whitaker has in enhanced um, um, counterpulsation uh, EECP, right? And um, the uh, and now they are all jumping on the bandwagon on ribose to rebuild the energy stores because they're seeing dramatic effects in what happens with these patients when you give them this simple little carbohydrate. So we return, uh, we'll talk about um, where do you find D-ribose? If you have chronic fatigue syndrome versus heart failure, do you take a different form? How do you start? Where do you find it? How much do you take? Tom Vonderbrink joining us today. He's the President and Chief Operating Officer of Bioenergy Life Science. An update for us from the annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America. Uh, again, 1-800-307-3002 is the number to join us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. A vital part of your daily health regimen. Vitamins, supplements, and Deborah Ray. Annual meeting of the Heart Failure Society of America, talking about energy in in general, including the failing heart being energy starved, is the president of Bioenergy Life Science, Tom Vonderbrink. Uh, we always give you uh, additional resource information, which is available to you at Corvalen, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N dot com, or just by picking up the phone and calling toll free one eight six six. Corvalen, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N. So knowing that uh, October 1st, I start the 26th year on the air. This well, year, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I will celebrate a 55th uh, birthday. I started trying to get a, a little more consistent. I mean, I walk a couple times a week. I swim a couple times a week. But now I'm doing the personal trainer three times a week. And I have been sore and using D-Ribose personally. It makes such a difference, Tom. You're exactly right. I mean, the, the stiffness and soreness that you're going to feel uh, after, you know, um, strenuous exercise is really this energy depletion. You've gone past the hypoxic threshold in your muscles, and they're just energy starved. And it may take day, two, three days, or four days to rebuild that, and ribose helps. Of course, we're going three times a week. With my schedule, I do one, one, uh, you know, two of the days back to back. Okay. <laughs> the difference between the next day saying, "Oh, come on, no, 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 not three sets of 15 mm-hmm. versus being able to do it, and by the end of the week, just literally, you know, uh, still being able to function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in, in dosing is important. Uh, if you're going to do strenuous exercise, you want to take a dose of the product, uh, which is five grams right. less than Little thirty scoop. minutes before you start, right. and another do- another dose less than thirty minutes after you stop. And both of them are important. Uh, and uh, you know, the majority of patients will feel a significant difference in not only how long they can exercise, yeah. but especially how they feel the next day. Yeah, there's just that subtle but very significant difference in just your overall vitality. I can get through this training session versus, oh, my goodness, <laughs> how am I going to do this, Tom? Mm-hmm. I, well, I mean, we see it all the time. And, uh, you know, it's what your training session is, is the, 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 the sad part of that is you've elected to do that. Patients with heart failure, I know, I that know. training session may just be from the kitchen to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And that causes the same thing. And 
and you know this simple sugar can help can give them the same result and maybe even more dramatic because they got they don't have to do one session back to back they may have to do that four or five times a day so easy to do doesn't taste bad at all just a, just a wise investment great information as always tom thank you so much it's my pleasure tom vanderbrink joining us today again the telephone number 1-866-C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N if you want additional research information product information i'm deborah reminding you live long stay healthy <laughs> 